0: Chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 19. In the days of the original Soviet revolution in Russia, this is 1916, 1917, when the Bolsheviks finally took over, 1918, there was a Soviet stand-up comedian. And one of the things the Soviets wanted to do was stamp out Christianity. In fact, if you know the stories of the Soviet Union and their very twisted history with, with uh, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church, they basically banned it until the second world war where joseph stalin brought it back because it was popular they wanted to convert everyone to atheism and there was this comedian who developed a kind of a stick where he would come out on stage as a, as a, dressed as a russian orthodox priest he would have a wine stained uh um costume in this And he would mock the liturgies of the Russian Orthodox Church. And he, one of his performances, for instance, was the Beatitudes. He would mock the Beatitudes. He would say things like, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for vodka. He would mock he would act like he was drunk, swaying, barely kept upright. And as a result, he began to be rewarded by the authorities. They began to really promote him as a, uh, you know, a party man, and he was on board. Until one day, he began to do his well rehearsed comic routine. But the sentences that he began to sing, were the real Beatitudes. And the crowd went silent as he began to really pay attention, probably for the first time to the words he was saying. The song was deep in his heart, probably from his childhood, and he began to sing it from the depth of his soul. Finally, after singing the song, he fell to his knees weeping. From that point, he was removed from the stage and he never did another show again. Many believe that he probably was sent off to Siberia or some kind of work camp, taken away. But as one commentator said of him, he began a new life in a spiritual condition of freedom that no prison could take away. In the text we're going to read, we're going to read about a man who had made a prison of his own making. And as a result of this, there were some circumstances that conspired against him. But he had created a way that he was locked away. And he had an encounter with Jesus. And everything changed. I want to look with you at uh, Zacchaeus had a miracle. Jesus entered Jerusalem, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, I'm sorry, and made his way through the town. And there was a man named uh, Zach- Zacharias. He was chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very sick. Uh, very rich, rather, I'm sorry. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road... For Jesus was going to pass that way, and when Jesus came by, he looked at Zacharias and called him and said, "Zacharias," and he said, "Come uh, quickly, come down. I must be a guest in your house today." And Zacharias quickly climbed down and took Jesus by a uh, took Jesus into his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased because he had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacharias stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if if I have cheated anyone out of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to your house this today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man did uh, came to seek and save those who are lost. I want to talk to you firstly about a sinner in need. Because here's a man who has partly built his own prison. To understand this, you have to understand who tax collectors were. Tax collectors were Jews that had betrayed their own people and began to work for the Roman government, the invading government. Now, I've mentioned before that I have lived in two nations that have felt uh, that they were invaded by their big neighbor, both Ireland, who felt like they were taken over and enslaved by the English, uh, and Lithuania, who had been invaded by Germany and Russia. And so, and even Poland at one point. So they had the, they, they were oppressed and to be work for that government, uh, your own people would actually despise you. Uh, You would be a social outcast. Uh, That was true in Lithuania. That was true in Ireland. uh, That was true in Jesus's day with the tax collector. That they worked for the Roman government. Not only was he a tax collector, it says he was chief tax collector. Now, like any other bureaucracy, they would have levels of higher up and there would be certain people that would be in charge. So, he was in charge of other tax collectors, which meant that he probably was very socially isolated. That, you know what, other tax collectors might be able to get with other tax collectors and feel like, you know what, hey, we betrayed, you betrayed, but hey, we're in this together, so we can do that. But when he's the boss, I'm sure he's ticked off some people. I'm sure he's made some people upset in their job and such. And so just doing his job made people upset. Romans would come to him and put pressure on him to go collect. And so then he would have to put pressure on others to go collect. And so he's probably very much isolated. Not only that, we see that he's also short. Now this would not, you know, not that the Jews have ever been known as very tall people, right? They're the ones who said we saw the sons of Anak in the land and we're just grasshoppers in their sight. And so... You know, as a as a people, they don't tend to be that tall. You don't you can't name how many Israeli basketball players or how many gold medals they've won in basketball, right? That's not a prejudiced statement. It's just a factual statement. The you know, Dutch are the tallest on the earth. That's just a factual statement. But there, this seemed to also have been a hindrance in his life. That also being this fact that there were circumstances beyond his ability. We all feel like that at time, that there are circumstances conspiring against us. That in life, there's always uh, this kind of uh, uh, thought that, you know what, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a skin color, an education, some kind of handicap, whatever it might be. We, there's always times we feel like that there's, these are marks against us. It marks this in the Bible, I believe, because this either was a real or perceived hindrance. In life, we have the real, we have the perceived hindrances that, you know what, I can't because of this, my age, my this, uh, that, uh, whatever it might be. But inevitably, we see that he was probably a very lonely man. The fact that he didn't want to fight through the crowd meant he was probably staying back away. Meant that he was probably not. I remember being at concerts these were secular concerts and uh, at the Cape Cod Coliseum, it was general admission. They don't do this anymore because people got trampled and hurt in Cincinnati. One concert, uh, uh, when a band called The Who played there, uh, seven people died And when they opened the doors. And so they don't do that anymore. But back in when I was in high school and such, that's what they did. And we fought our way in one concert to get up to the stage. You know, you work in, work in, work in. And I'll never forget it because we got all to the stage and we looked down. There's a guy passed out and nobody cares. No, I, we don't know who his friends were. I looked at my friend. He looked at me. We grabbed him by the arm. We drug him to the medical station. And there's some old lady there who's working. And she's like, do you know who he is? I'm like, we have no idea. She's like, you're not his friend. And we're like, we don't have a clue. He's a big guy, probably 6'3". And we just, you know, there's nothing more we could do but grab one arm and drag him on his feet. Zacchaeus, probably because he was known, didn't want to do that. He probably felt like he'd get an elbow in the face. Probably felt like, you know what, somebody's going to see him. He doesn't want to make himself vulnerable. So he runs ahead, he climbs up a sycamore tree. Part of the inspiration of this sermon came out of the thought that when I took Tony Chase over to the other building that's gone, they've actually filled in the foundation. It's all gone, gone, gone. Actually, funny enough, a little aside, just take it for what it's worth. Uh, Christian Brunel called me. He's the man who I negotiate, who did all the negotiation. Uh, he called me out of the blue, uh, I think it was Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. Uh, had a question for me concerning something else, but said, hey, when we open up, we're gonna make a way your church can come over. We're gonna, uh, they're gonna work out a deal for the ice cream. And so, look forward to that. But I digress. He doesn't want to fight his way, but but uh, the sycamore tree was a tree was the tree that grew right next to the building. That was a sycamore tree. I don't know if it looked exactly like that, but that was that's a sycamore tree. He climbed up that because he wanted to get a view of Jesus. He had probably heard that Jesus had been friendly with tax collectors. I'm sure Matthew's conversion, Levi's conversion, was something that people knew. Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32, later, when Jesus left town, he saw the tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Later, Levi had held a banquet at his home. With Jesus as a guest of honor and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests ate with him, but the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered and said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who are sinners and need repentance. I'm sure Zacchaeus has heard this. I'm sure that burned through the tax collector community. Here's a religious teacher, unlike the Pharisees, who would actually take time for tax collectors. Actually take time for those. I'm sure he had heard this. He was interested. And he heard Jesus is coming. He was not going to let anything stop him for just a glimpse. Climbing a tree, whatever it comes, his fears of being in public, he's not going to let any of these hinder him from being around Jesus. I know people, if they get an ingrown toenail, they're ready to skip church. Even though Jesus is going to be there. The woman with the issue of blood, the same thing. She goes into public... And and let me just add right here, there are very legitimate reasons for missing church, working, surgeries, I get all that. You know, there's uh, times, family emergencies, I get that. But there's some people, you know, their excuses are whatever. Woman with the issue of blood. She presses through the cross, she's unclean. She knows if she touches this this teacher, she makes him unclean but she's believing for a miracle sometimes you got to press through your fears you got to press through voices that are in your head that aren't speaking faith because he wants to hear he wants to see Jesus he wants to know who this friend of sinners is he prepared himself made himself available. What's very interesting about this story of Jesus coming to Jericho is it seems like this might be why he came. There are numbers of times where Jesus would make a journey or be in a place for one person. He seemed to go to Samaria for the woman at the well. He seemed to cross the Sea of Galilee for the Gadarean demoniac. He seems to have gone out of his way to raise the young boy from the dead. Jesus makes special efforts for individuals. God makes a special effort for you. It's not just coincidence. It's not just... Man, I, I understand I, I've been in crowds of thousands of people but felt like Jesus said you buddy sometimes in the good sometimes putting my, his finger on an issue in my life Jesus comes and he looks up where Zacchaeus was and called him by name and said come down quickly I must be a guest in your house today Jesus noticed him, calls him by name. There's no record or possible way that Jesus would have met this man before. But Jesus singles out. He knows who you are. Philip becomes a follower of Jesus. Philip was Philip and Andrew were followers of John the Baptist, and they heard when Jesus was baptized, John say, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they followed after Jesus. And Philip goes and gets his friend Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus after Nathaniel gives the whole oh, where'd he come from? Galilee. What good thing could come out of Galilee? But as Philip and Nathan, Nathaniel, approach Jesus in John chapter 1, 47 through 49, it says, as they approach Jesus, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man with complete integrity. How do you know that about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. What the Bible never tells us is what happened under the fig tree. I mean, it's one of those mysteries, I think there'll be a line with Nathaniel that people will be going, hey, what happened? And what was going on that Jesus saw you under the fig tree? In the series, The Chosen, they show him as a failure, they show him as struggling with his faith they show him as having some major catastrophe that's one very good possibility but that's artist interpretation we don't know but god said jesus says i saw you nathan nathaniel i know who you are god knows who you are he knows where you are he knows what you're doing, he even knows what you're thinking. There are many people who testify that God heard a cry before they were saved. That at one point or another they made a cry out to God, and that when they had that encounter, they knew it was right. Luke 12:6 and 7, what is the price of 5 sparrows, 2 copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. We don't know how many hairs are on our head. But God does. You can count the hairs in the sink, but you can't count the hairs on your head. God knows exactly how many there are. Jesus says it's a necessity that I go to your house. It's a necessity that you don't just have an encounter with Jesus and keep him on the outside. Some people, they're fine to have church on Sunday, but they won't let God into their house on Monday or Thursday or any other time. Jesus says, I don't want to just be around you or you to come to me. I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want you to allow me into your house. You know, it would be semi rude of someone to walk up to someone and go, Hey, I got a great idea. Let's have lunch at your house right now. I know if I did that, (laughs) I'd be in trouble. i don't have anything prepared I, you know um, you know is uh, not clean. Jesus you, know, uh, you know jesus said, no and no, i'm coming over now now that was his plan is that Je- zechariah's Ze- Ze- responds properly the bible says he received him quickly and joyfully verse Six of our texts, Zacharias quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house in a great excitement and joy. He didn't mind bringing him in too. Let him in. Jesus tells the church in Revelation 3.20, church of Laodicea, look I stand at the door and knock if you hear my voice and open I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends some say that's the church and I believe there are some churches Jesus is knocking in and there are some hearts Jesus is knocking on let me in let me in. will fellowship together. Let me in. Because Jesus is still looking for people who are sinners to let him in. That's who Jesus is looking for. Our text ends with Jesus making the statement for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God is looking for those who are lost. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 15. and He says that which of you having a hundred sheep and loses one doesn't leave the 99, go after He says, how much more will there be joy in heaven when the lost one comes home? Jesus is looking for that. He's open to that. He wants to help and save sinners. Paul wrote in to Timothy, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of being repeated. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God is looking for sinners. He, Jesus makes the statement that this man is a son of Abraham and he needs to be received as that. That's a major change. Because to society, he was a traitor. He had sold off his birthright worse than Esau, he, he had sold it away, he had betrayed his people, betrayed his nation. One genre of true stories that I do like, and uh, I think this is just because I've lived overseas and seen it kind of from both sides a little bit, is uh, spy novels and, and about spies and different things. And the, you know, uh, I've, I've had, I've sat at a lunch table with people I knew are CIA agents. And they're questioning me in ways. And I'm like, yeah, they're trying to find out if I'm interested. I'm not. Not at all. Not at all. And had that go. And I've seen this play. And I've seen the, the way they do it and all that. And so. But there are some notorious names in American history. The Rosenbergs. Aldra James. traitors. To America. That you would that some were given the death sentence, others will be in prison for the rest of their lives. Because they betrayed their people, their place. Jesus calls him, but what's interesting is we can see in Zacchaeus' life the marks of repentance. In verse Eight, it says, he stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone on their taxes, I will pay, uh, pay them back uh, four times as much. The first thing he does is confess I did wrong. You know what God wants to hear? A confession. Not because he's shocked. You're not going to come to Jesus and go, Lord, I'm a sinner. And he's going to go, (gasps) what? He knows. He already knows. He knows the things you don't want your mama to know. He knows the things you don't want anyone else to know. I was talking to one person recently and they said they did something and they tried to hide it from their parents for years and got away with it. But when it all came out, he was embarrassed. Something about a public confession that changes people's lives. There's the testimony. I was. Now I'm saved. And now I'm different. This is exactly what happened to this tax collector. He was one way before he met Jesus. He meets Jesus, now he's another. He's making a public confession. This can be at an altar call, but it also should be public street preaching, witnessing at work, giving your testimony at a concert or some other kind of outreach wherever you can tell people what Jesus has done for you the man filled with thousands of demons when he wants to follow and go and be one of uh, with Jesus Jesus tells him no go home to your family and tell them everything the lord has done for you and how merciful he has been god says you know what Just share the mercy of God. Share that in people's lives. It's a mark of salvation. The second thing we see is liberality. He says, I'll give half my goods to the poor. Now, that's not what God wants us to do. That's just what this man said I will do. But, Stingy people and Christianity don't go together. They just don't go together. There's a reason why the United States is the most liberal nation on the earth. Because we were founded, whether you, and you can argue the points, and I understand that, but the measure and the weight of Christianity that is still in our culture is immense. I've heard the comments that when they took the pledges to rebuild Afghanistan after the 2001 terrorist attacks and then the attack on the Taliban and such. $27 billion was pledged by nations around the world to rebuild Afghanistan. Only nine came in. Some of the biggest pledgers were Muslim nations who never paid. A mark on Christianity is liberality. Paul writes and says, To the Philippians, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from there to Macedonia. No other church did this. And even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent to, uh, sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you, but rather I want you to receive the reward of your kindness. You know, mark it down, people who will not obey God with the tithe, you can question their salvation. Because a liberal heart is part of salvation. Hebrews 13, 16, Do not forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And finally, there's restitution. He makes the statement that I will pay back if I, if, if, which is hilarious. Be like a used car dealer or a politician saying, be like a politician saying, if I lied. I saw, somebody showed me a great comic strip. Oh, it was actually Pastor Chase. Showed me a great comic strip and said, you know, uh, it's it's Charlie Brown and, and Lucy sitting on a tree. And Lucy says, do all fairy tales begin with once upon a time? And Charlie Brown says, no, some of them begin, if I'm elected, I promise. Exodus 22, 1. If someone steals an ox or a sheep and then kills it or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each stolen ox. And four sheep for each stolen sheep. This tells me that... Zacharias, he had some understanding of the law. He had probably been raised in synagogue and probably their version of of Saturday school because that's when they would worship God is on Saturdays. So they would add some kind of version of that for the children. He knew... He knew, I got to do right. So, Lord, if. Well, the way tax collectors worked in Roman times, the Romans would pay them a little bit. But if you owed, say, $500 for taxes, they could come and say, I want six. Or you're going to jail. I'd say, but I only owe five. I want six. Or you're going to jail. So you give them $600. They put $100 in their pocket and they give the Romans the $500. That's the way it worked. That's why he was very rich. But out of that, he says, I am going to do what is right. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to make it right with others. I'm going to do whatever needs to be done so that I can be right with God. Pat Summerall was a major voice in sports on television for many years. He worked for CBS, he worked for Fox, he did a lot of NFL telecasts. He was actually the one who worked with John Madden the most. He did 16 different Super Bowls and did radio analysis and all this. And that's the part of Pat's story that most people know. But Pat was an only child. His parents divorced, leaving home. He felt very empty and alone. He became an alcoholic at a very young age. It was in 1994 he was actually doing the Masters Golf Tournament and he was sick. He was doing voiceovers. It uh, cracks me up in golf if you know television. They're always whispering. Tiger Woods is at the 14th hole. The thing is, they're in a studio far away. They're not even standing there at the at the but but somehow in golf it always got you had to whisper. They always talk with a whisper. So anyway, but while he was doing this, he began to face up. He began to throw up blood. He began to get sick. He was up, and one time at 4 a.m. he looked in the mirror and he saw what a terrible sight he was and he said, I can't live this way. Pat checked himself into the Betty Ford Clinic in Palm Springs, California for 33 days and he got sober, but he was still empty. He actually ran into his old football coach, a Christian himself, Tom Landry, who used to coach... The Dallas Cowgirls boys. And so, Pat Summerall had actually been a kicker under Coach Landry. Coach Landry began to witness to him and got him in touch with the Dallas Cowboys chaplain, John Weber. And Pat's life was transformed at 69 years old. He got baptized, began to serve God. Art Strickland, who's a writer and sports commentator and different things, wrote an article on this, and he said, with a few words from John Weber, offered up the sum of Pat Summerall's journey. Pat was once the life of every party with a drink in his hand, but now he gets his power from another source. God can transform a life. He can do it instantly. He can do it mightily. The marks of salvation are there. It's a glorious thing. That's what happened to this man. That's what happened to many people. That's what can happen to you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this morning. Maybe you, like the man in our story, had to fight through some fears. To come. Fight through some maybe circumstances that were against your control or out of your control. And feel like, oh, what's this going to be like? But you found out that not only are people here, but Jesus himself is here. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And he wants to touch your life. He wants to save your soul. He wants to change you and transform you. This man went from broken and hurting to joy and excitement. Jesus declares over him before he's done any works of obedience, before he's obeyed God, before he's done anything that would His statement and confession of faith was enough that he was transformed. All we want to do with you this morning is say a simple prayer with you. We don't need to know all your background, all your sins, all your history. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I'll receive you in into my life, into my home, into my heart, and I'll be changed, transformed. Do a miracle for me so that I can know the glory of Jesus Christ's salvation and forgiveness. Yes, there are things you will have to do, you know, decisions you'll have to make, but you're going to make a decision, I'm going to leave my sin because I want Jesus more than I want what's ruining my life. And if that's you this morning, I wonder if you'd very quickly slip up your hand, and say, that's me. Would you pray for me, preacher? I need to give my heart to Jesus. Thank God, an honest heart. Someone else, very quickly this morning. You're not right with God. You're not born again. Maybe you're backslidden. You're away from God. You want prayer this morning. It's a simple prayer. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you, pray for you. Very quickly. Anyone at all. Amen, you raised your hand. Would you look up at me? You mean that, don't you? Would you come and have a brother pray with you? Yanni's going to pray with you real quick. Just kneel down right there. God's going to help you. Maybe some of you were scared. What is he going to make me do? What's going to happen if I raise my hand? Someone's going to lead you in a very simple prayer. That's you this morning. You're not right with God. You want to get right. Slip up your hand very quickly. I've I've never done this or I did this a long time ago and I'm not right with God. I need to come back. Praise God. Changing the call then to Christians, the marks of Christianity, obedience, confession, these things need to be at work in our lives. They're the fruits, the byproducts. They don't make you saved, but they are the evidence that Jesus Christ has done something in our hearts. And from time to time, it's good to refresh that and bring that back up to where it needs to be. Let's all stand. These altars are open. If you want to talk to God, we're going to sing a song and worship his name, Create in me a clean heart. Create it. Let's give him praise. Let's worship his name.